welcome to Writers' Festival Radio. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director at the Ottawa International Writers' Festival, and I'm your host. We are broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Our last two episodes have been focused on living with loss and working through grief. Today, we spotlight how tragedy can become the inspiration for countless acts of giving, how one person's courage and conviction can bring a nation together and inspire generations to give their time, their enthusiasm, their expertise, and their money to try to make a real difference in the world. We have the rare opportunity this week to celebrate someone who unified all of us in admiration. We celebrate the life and the inspiration of a truly great Canadian, Terry Fox. This Sunday, the Terry Fox Foundation celebrates 40 years of the Marathon of Hope. The theme is One Day Your Way. Due to public health concerns, participation will be in spirit and not in person this year. On Sunday, September 20th, the Terry Fox Foundation asks that you continue to support cancer research by participating in and fundraising for your virtual run. We are all invited to choose how to celebrate Terry Fox, walk, run, dance, hike. Visit terryfox.org for all the details. Our host today is author and broadcaster Mark Sutcliffe, a dedicated distance runner and host of CPAC's Today in Politics podcast, who will soon be launching a new podcast called Digging Deep. He spoke with Terry's brother, Daryl, about Terry's legacy and the new book, Forever Terry, A Legacy in Letters. All right, Daryl, it is a great pleasure to welcome you and to chat with you again. And I'm really excited to talk to you about Forever Terry, A Legacy in Letters, uh, which you have pulled together to mark the 40th anniversary of the end of the Marathon of Hope. This was also going to be the the year of the 40th Terry Fox run, which is still happening, but a little bit different from what you planned, I know. Uh, So thank you for joining us, first of all. Mark, uh, always a pleasure. And uh, yes, as you suggested, uh, not what we had in in the plans, but uh, but still, uh, you know, it, it is the 40th anniversary, and it, it is wonderful to see uh, the response we received um, so far this year in terms of September 1st, the day that is not a favorite uh, in, in, on my calendar, but certainly it was incredible to see the love for Terry that it was expressed on that day. It is amazing how that just is such a, a milepost for so many Canadians that they they recognize that anniversary, they think about it every year, but especially this year with the, the 40th anniversary of that date. The book is such a huge achievement. I, I'm amazed at the, at the stories that are included in it uh, from some very famous people like Wayne Gretzky and Sidney Crosby and Steve Nash and others, and also from some other people who have been touched by Terry's life and his example, who have been affected directly by the work of the Terry Fox Foundation and the Terry Fox Research Institute. Even though there are a lot of famous people in the book, I wanted to start with with one of the lesser known contributors, Anna Solnikova, because uh, her story, I think, really stands out. She had exactly the same cancer as Terry did, uh, the same cancer that cost him his leg and ultimately his life. And she has, as she puts it in the letter, she still has her 10 toes and she's still alive. And I know you connected with her and that it was emotional for you. Can you tell us a bit about her story? 
in terms of the book itself, I deserve all the credit. I'm, I'm responsible for everything. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there is an, an, an incredible team that was behind the Forever Terry book, and I was just a very small part of it, representing the family and, and Terry Foxers, uh, not only across Canada, but worldwide. Yeah, and a and story. I, I was going to, just on that point, Daryl, I was going <laughs> to tease you a little bit because I was going to say, editing a book is probably way easier than writing a book. <laughs> and so you, <laughs> you, you, you found the... Uh, you found the right role uh, in this in this book to pull together all this great stuff instead of having to write it all yourself, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and you know, your intro was was great and, and wonderful. And yes, there are famous Canadians in the book, but as a family, and, and we recognize and we're thankful for to to all of them um, because of their their special stories and, and memories and how Terry has inspired them. But um, personally, you know, the family really values as well that the Terry Foxers that, that are in the book. Um, and Anna is a, a prime example. And her story is one of many cancer survivors that are alive today because of our investment in cancer research. But Anna's story is, is that much more because it was the same form of cancer that, that Terry had. And as a family member, as someone who was there in 1980, this really, really touches me and you know we remember greg scott who was uh, um terry terry's hero um um who had the same form of cancer that terry had and they, they visited twice uh, um during the marathon of hope in hamilton ontario where where greg lived and also in terrace bay on uh, ontario just a few days before terry was forced to to to, to stop his run and and that was such a pivotal pivotal moment for Terry and such an inspiring moment. So that's what I'm thinking about when I'm reading Anna's story. Um, you know, I know that that would have incredible meaning for, for Terry. And so as, as such, it has incredible meaning uh, for me. And, and the fact that she is a landed immigrant, she, she, she's not from Canada and she, she came here. She, she loves her country and she loves Terry that much more. And, um, it's an incredible story of perseverance, and, and now she gives unconditionally to, to supporting the run, um, and, and that is incredibly heartwarming for us as a family. And that must be especially meaningful to you when you see people who didn't grow up in Canada or moved here at a young age, or when you see people who are the age of my kids, who are 9 and 11, who know more about Terry Fox than they do perhaps about the Prime Minister or the Governor General or or other famous people in this country, uh, the, the enduring quality of this story. Because if you go back to 1980, 1981, that wasn't necessarily a given, and, and you probably weren't counting on that. Uh, but here, the, here we are today, and Terry's story is as meaningful. And you can tell from the letters that people write, Sidney Crosby and others who, who were not alive when Terry Fox uh, did the Marathon of Hope, uh, you can see how much it still resonates today. Yeah, and, and speaking of Sydney, I mean that's that was so wonderful about this this process and this exercise was was the surprises. I mean to to find out that Sydney Crosby has uh, um, a photo, a, a framed photo of Terry in, in his entrance way, and when people come to visit, he's quick, especially in in terms of his occupation and and the fact that he would uh, meet and have hockey players from uh, uh, you know around the world visiting. Uh, for him to be able to share Terry's story is is incredible. And again, Sydney was not alive in, in 1980. 
Um, but it is that next generation. I mean, there's an incredible story of Jocelyn Adams that's also in the book of a, a young person who's, um, you know, obviously nowhere near was around, wasn't even a figment in anyone's imagination about being born. But uh, look what she's doing every year, raising raising money for, for the Terry Fox Foundation. So we know, and I, I'm, you know, too maybe sometimes too close to us to it, but uh, there is the younger generation is embracing this story and we know that Terry's in, in, in very good hands. Um, you know, this book could have easily have been 100,000 pages <laughs> when you think of all that. And that was one of the challenges, challenges of, of this book is how do we narrow it down to, to, to 40 letters when there are thousands of incredible stories out there. So, so that was difficult. We did the best we can and um, really happy with the, with the final product. The job will get slightly easier if you do it again at, at 50 years because you'll, you'll be able to have 10 more people. But it'll <laughs> still be really tough. Um, Douglas Copeland wrote about how Terry blew up the walls around cancer and disability. Uh, and, and I think it's important, especially because there are so many people who were not alive in 1980 uh, who don't remember it firsthand to establish the context of 1980. And, and I'm hoping you could do that a little bit. There's so many elements to this, but first of all, around the issue of, of cancer and, and disability and how much of a game-changing moment that was because people may not fully understand uh, the, the environment that Terry was running in. Yeah, and thank you very much for dating me for, for <laughs> sharing that. I'm in a position to be able to speak to-, to Yes, so am I, so am I. It's all you, Mark. Yeah, it, it, you know, things were a, a little bit different there. I mean, uh, you know, for, for someone to attempt to run across the country was just not in the realm of possibilities, though it was happening at that time, but certainly not someone um, on an artificial leg um, who had lost a leg to, to cancer. And, and that in itself was uh, something that was so foreign to, to us at, at that time that Terry was more than prepared to to show off what had happened to him. He, he, he you know, I, I remember those early days when he wanted to be able to run less, um, you know, track pants to show what had happened to him. And he wanted to talk about cancer because it wasn't a subject. I mean, cancer was not spoken to any great extent in 1980, but Terry changed that um, and was more than willing to, to share what happened to him. And um, I think that's why we gravitated it to it in, in the manner that we did as Canadians, because we were so moved by these stories that we had never heard before that Terry was willing to share. And Terry never talked about himself personally, about what he went through in, in terms of going through cancer and the endless chemotherapy and radiation treatments that he experienced, but he shared stories of others. You know, those that um, were not going to live and, and uh, you know, that, that was um, that was really hard for him. And, you know, that's when he realized he needed to do something that he had at, to that point to the age of 18. He lived a very selfish life, life, though, and he would say very successful in terms of what he'd accomplished to date. But he was missing something very important. And that was the, the piece of giving back and helping others. And he made that promise that if he ever walked out of the cancer ward, alive that he would never forget those that he had left behind and and after 18 months and uh, finally being able to to walk away at that point feeling he would it was behind him 
he was ready to um, to give back and fulfill that promise. One more point about the context of 1980. Uh, if, if you think about somebody doing something like running across Canada or uh, some other uh, major effort or initiative to to raise money, to draw attention to a cause, to do something heroic, uh, right away you would start thinking about, okay, uh, what are we going to share on Facebook? Uh, what's going to be our, our Twitter strategy? Uh, you know, how we're going to have cell phones with us everywhere we go. There's so much technology that would be part of that. And the world is so much smaller. Uh, the, the connectivity in the world is so much greater today than it was in 1980. You were there for a, such a huge portion of the Marathon of Hope. Can you just describe how much further away from your family even, let alone from some of the channels to communicate with the public, you would have been during, and Terry would have been during that run? Yeah, yeah, d- different times. Let me think. No, we didn't have cell phones. Uh, like it, w- it was completely. You know, it was, it was amazing what happened with with the marathon of hope and and how through simple word of mouth that uh, you know Terry's story was being passed down the road to the to the next community and people would be out there lining the the streets. What? How different would it be? And and who knows what what Terry would experience. Uh, in today's world, where, as you say, everything is, is so close and, and nothing is hidden. It's a, it's all out there. Um, and instantly, and too, right? Instantly, too, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and mom was, you know, a, a little obviously petrified, too, because, one, you know, she had sent one son out on the road. And and, and six weeks later, uh, uh, son number two was, was sent out. And she, and and she had very little information to go by other than what she read in in the newspaper um, or you know that um, that uh, weekly phone call that Terry would make to to, to the house and to, to mom and dad back back home. So completely different different times and, and different world, but um, somehow we uh, it, it worked and it, it worked very effectively. Um, and I, I always admire what we were too, and and you know that. It, that it wasn't a huge entourage. You know, there was, of, clo- of course, Doug Alward, who was Terry's close friend, who was there from the very beginning. I arrived again on May 31st. And, and then we were supported a lot, uh, throughout uh, the Marathon of Hope by uh, the Canadian Cancer Society volunteers and, and district representatives who assisted and in, in organized and spread the word as well. And, um, you know, I, I like the smallness of it. Uh, it, um, it just, I think it appealed to, to Terry and it's kind of how we are as a, as an identity, as a, as a foundation, uh, 40 years later, we're, we're not big. We're, you know, we're a very small operation, but we're certainly big in reach <laughs> in terms of the, the scope. And, and, and I, and I think that appeals to me because I think again, it would appeal to Terry, um, and the focus is on fundraising and, and raising money for cancer research. Yeah, it is amazing how you've been able to carry forward Terry's values in the way that you run the foundation and run uh, everything in Terry's name, uh, because it's not grandiose, it's not flashy, it's purposeful. And uh, and I think that's really powerful. Um, Steve Nash wrote in the book about how uh, it's easy to uh, to lionize our heroes uh, and and we have to remind ourselves that Terry was also a human being and that you could see some of that come to light in his journals, the, the doubts that he had, the struggles he went through. What can you tell us about Terry 
from from the perspective of being his brother. And I know you were young at the time. It was a long time ago. But what what can you share with us about some of the facets of, of Terry that, that Canadians might not know? Yeah, good question, Mark. I mean, it, it's hard to, to identify and share, um, you know, traits of Terry's that are, are not well known, because I think we, you know, we're, we're very comfortable putting Terry out there. Um, and, and, and part of that is to say that he wasn't perfect, because he wasn't, you know, he was, he was flawed, um, as we all are. Um, and I, I, I really admire Terry for the willingness to, to, to share that, that he wasn't perfect, that he was hard on those around him that time, though we didn't see that as, a, as an entourage. We knew what he was doing every day and we were, you know, our, we were, you know, emotional and having to take it in and, and to witness it. Uh, but he um, but he wasn't perfect. And I think that's why we relate to him. And that's the story that we, we share um, 40 years later with the next generation is, you know, Terry was an, a very average individual. He was a very average student. He was perhaps a, a below average athlete, um, but he, but he had this incredible amount of determination and hard work. And he, he recognized this at a, at a younger age that um, even those, his peers were much more intelligent much more gifted athletically, but Terry was excelling through hard work. Um, and so that, that, that's something that we all can benefit from. And that, that's the, the gift in, this, in, this, in the story of Terry Fox. And the other thing that I always talk about in terms of, of Terry is his humility. You know, the, the fact that he was so quick to direct attention that was aimed to him to others. And, um, I thought that was an incredible gift that, and a gift that he had throughout the Marathon of Hope. You know, I always say that the person that started the Marathon of Hope on April 12th was the same individual who had to stop on September 1st, even though fame and fortune was offered at every turn in the road. Um, he, he declined and he wasn't interested in that. And I think that um, was incredible with, with so many opportunities for him to, to say no. We know how in some cases, in the entertainment and in sports industries, how, how it changes who, who individuals are and they forget where they came from. That never happened to Terry. And that's one of the things that I, of uh, many, that I really ad ad admire about, uh, about Terry. But I think that's why um, we are here and still relevant is because we don't put Terry up on a pedestal. He wouldn't want to be there and he doesn't deserve to be there. He was not perfect. Um, and he has shown to all of us that anything is possible if you, if you try. That hard work and determination uh, really came out in, in terms of how he prepared for the Marathon of Hope. And I, I was reminded of that when I read some of the stories in the book. Um, the, the, we, we focus so much on the Marathon of Hope itself and not necessarily as much on the period leading up to it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, there were stories of him wheeling his uh, wheeling a wheelchair up a mountain every second day to prepare and starting to run and and adding uh, uh, just a little bit every week until he could get up to the level that he felt comfortable launching the marathon of hope uh, it was a long journey and a tough one yeah i agree with you completely mark there and that we you know the focus on the marathon of hope and it should be at, to a certain extent but terry ran over 3,000 miles or 5,000 kilometers preparing for the Marathon of Hope. And, and that's the, the, the hidden story. And as you just indicated, how he built up 
his, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't run 26 miles that first day, far from it. He ran a quarter of a mile on a dirt track and he, and after running that one lap, he thought of quitting, giving up because it was so painful and so difficult. But even before, you know, the beginning of his training for his, for the Marathon of Hope, which, which started in February, 1979. So just over a year before he started the Marathon of Hope, he received a call from, from Rick Hansen, you know, Rick's, uh, um, letter is also in, in Forever Terry, and and um, you know Rick had heard that there was this former SFU uh, basketball player who had recently lost his leg to cancer, and he and Rick saw an opportunity for recruitment for the Vancouver Cable Cars and potentially the the national uh, wheelchair basketball team. So he gave uh, Rick a call and or gave Terry a call, and and Terry quickly responded because guess what he saw a challenge. Terry like like challenges and. Um, they be, became very quick and close friends, and it's interesting how they inspired each other with their with their own journeys um, and accomplishments in in, in future years. Uh, but uh, but yeah, um, you know the story of uh, uh, of Rex is a it's a powerful one of of them. You know Terry would often wheelchair up um, Burnaby Mountain to SFU, and if, if anyone's familiar with that journey, it's not an easy one. It, it is a, a very steep climb and people were in awe. Uh, and I've heard from many of them over the years who remember Terry and it's a vivid memory for them. They can describe in detail what it was like to witness Terry wheelchair up that mountain. And Rick was uh, not at SFU, but he was at UBC. And whenever he had the opportunity and had some free time, he, he would join Terry and, and wheel up the mountain. So I, I can imagine what that would, um, what, what, that would look like visually for anyone driving up that uh, that mountain, but um, but there is um, you know going to now going to um, Terry's training, um, you know that that quarter of a mile became a half mile in the second week, became a three quarters of a mile in the third week, and he built up until he was running, um, you know, 15, 20 miles every day. So it's uh, it was pretty impressive and. It, it, showed his commitment to to the, the cause and, and to the marathon of hope. He knew he had to be ready. You write in the introduction to the book, while I no longer live in 1980, I go back there every day. Tell me more about that. How do you go back? What What is that experience like for you on a daily basis? Well, it's, it, you know, it's, it's always there. Like, um, you know, I'm, I'm asked all the time, you know, what's, what's it like? To be Terry Terry's brother. Well, I don't know what it's like not to be because I've always been his. I've always, um, I've always been his brother. Um, but I'm every day. I'm t- talking to you. Um, I'm reminded. I'm there. I'm put back to, to 1980, and and it, I. It's hard to put it to articulate in to words what that feels like. I, but I'm right away when I start to talk about the Marathon of Hope. I'm back. I'm back on Lakeshore Boulevard, Boulevard running, you know, through Oakville. Um, I'm there and I see it. <laughs> and it's an incredible experience and feeling. So it's always, you know, that's what I'm trying to express when I say I don't live there, but I go back there because I, I do go back there. And every day there's a trigger or a reminder because Terry's everywhere, you know, he, and I, I can't escape him and I never want to. Um, not only because of who he was, but what he's brought to me, not only um, 
in terms of how to live a life, but um, but all the the Terry Foxers that he's introduced me to, who uh, I've come to know over the years, and and that list of people continues to grow every year. It's not fading away, and and the the enthusiasm and love that Terry Foxers have um, for him is always there. It, it never fades. So um, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at when I, when I talk about living. Uh, I don't live in the past, but I go back there every day because I am there every day. And it's a wonderful place to be. I think of this story as being as much about the Fox family as it is about just Terry Fox, uh, because uh, after Terry died, uh, your family threw yourself yourselves into this into this mission, and it's really remarkable. and And I know a big part of that was uh, what your parents decided to do uh, and how they carried it forward, and and some of the choices that they made. And I know you've lost your parents uh, in, in the last few years. I, I had the pleasure and the honor of meeting them a few times over the years. Um, and and I, I cherish those memories. But just tell me a little bit about the role that your whole family has played in carrying this forward over the last 40 years now. Well, uh, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly say I don't think we played a significant role because I, I don't think we have. I think we're in a unique position where we, as brothers and sisters and parents, we um, can share who Terry was. So, so that's something we have that others do not. I think that's all we have for the most part. But, um, you know, I, I for the, the three of us siblings, Fred, older brother Fred, younger sister Judy, myself, um, I think we'd be quick to give credit to, to mom and dad, and specifically mom, um, because we were not in a position and ready to step into any role after Terry passed away, but someone had to, and that was, you know, Betty Fox. And, you know, she was a, a, a manager of a card um, shop, you know, um, Hallmark Cards. Uh, she was not prepared for this, but she she found her way through it. And, and she, nothing was ever forced on us, Fred, Judy, or myself to, to join. I, I actually didn't become directly involved until 1990. I needed a decade just to to figure out and, and understand what had happened in 1980 and more specifically what happened on June 28th when Terry passed away because that wasn't, um, for me as a younger brother who saw Terry as being invincible, I, that wasn't supposed to happen and that wasn't going to happen. That's how I looked at, at it, but it did. So I needed time to, to figure out and accept that, um, you know, that this is a, a really horrible disease that we're dealing with and, and Terry Fox isn't invincible. Um, and, um, and, you know, maybe, maybe there's something good that comes out of his passing. I, I didn't see it back then. I didn't, but now I do. Um, so, you know, for, for us, um, we're, we just play a, a role of, of sharing Terry's story of, of, you know, sharing his values, protect, and I would say there is an element to protecting his values. That's very important to to the role we we play. But um, but again, it is there there. This is a huge um, movement, and we're just in a position where we're able to 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 be ambassadors from time to time, and and we really enjoy and appreciate that opportunity. 
I think you've done way more than that, but I'll 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 allow you to uh, to take the path of humility on that, uh, and and I won't I won't challenge you on it. But uh, you know, I I think of the the Fox family almost like as royalty in our country. But um, I, you you brought something up there that I think is worth exploring, and that is the. Uh, the, I, don't, I think a lot of people, I, I remember September 1st, 1980, and I, I think I was delivering newspapers that day and I saw the story that, that Terry had had to stop his run. And I always, I was 12 at the time and I assumed that he would start it up again. That was my immediate reaction was he's gonna get treated, he's gonna get better, he's gonna finish this run. And, uh, and I think that, there, that was the way a lot of Canadians felt. There was some shock, but but some sense that that this this person who had made it that far surely the story could not end without him dipping his artificial leg in the Pacific Ocean sometime in the future, uh, and yet in some way that has almost become an essential element of this story and and perhaps part of the reason it has had such an impact on people and so many people have rallied around this cause in a way. Do, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, you know the the fact that um, that there's unfinished business that the you know Terry didn't find his way all the way home. So um, and he clearly said said that you know uh, on September first he said if you know if I can get out there and finish the run I will, but if I'm not able to finish it, the marathon of hope must continue. So he was passing the baton on to each and every one of us. And, and, and that's, I think, the reason why we are, we are still moving forward because we need to, you know, we, we're, and we're committed to finishing um, the Marathon of Hope and, and, and finishing what Terry started. Um, and he, he was quick to, it was always such a funny, you know, balance, I thought, because, you know, Terry didn't want attention or profile but then he wanted attention and profile for what he was attempting to, to do. You couldn't, and, and look what he was accomplishing, look, running a marathon every day. So it was, it was such an interesting contrast that here Terry was not wanting any attention, but needing it to, 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 to get the dollars and, and the money. So um, that was always a, a, a difficult uh, balance, but, uh, but to your question, I, I, I agree completely that, um, you know, there is a reason for September 1st, which I've now accepted. And, um, and that's what we, we do every year at this time. Yeah, and I think, I think there are a couple of really powerful lessons that arise out of that, that, that uh, there's, there's obviously the lesson of, you know, even the, even the toughest people uh, uh, can fall victim to cancer and it can take their lives. And that, that was an important story that, that I think mobilized a lot of people to take up the fight and, and continue pressing for a cure and raising money and supporting research. And I also think that one of the lessons I take away from it, I, I remind myself all the time, you know, he was, when you talk about the promise he made and uh, to, to, if he if he survived uh, his his first battle with cancer, that he was going to do something and give back. Uh, he was so young to to make that. That's the that's the kind of thing you know people you know our age would would be thinking about giving back after a lifetime of of working and raising a family and doing those kinds of things. He was thinking about that at such a young age, and what it reminds me is just that you you don't. Uh, 
I mean, first of all, it, it tells me something about Terry, but secondly, it, it reminds me that you, in the long run, you don't measure somebody's life by how many years they were on this planet, but but in terms of the impact they have, and it's uh, you can have a lot of impact in a short period of time, as Terry proves. You you can, and uh, um, I, I yeah, I, I think Terry had wisdom well beyond his years, and as you you just stated and I agree with completely, we sometimes need to wait until we're older and wiser before we appreciate and understand, you know, why we're here and, and the the need to, to give back and help others. Terry learned that at, at a very young age, but I, but that's what he said. He said, you know, that's what cancer did. It, 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 it broadened my, you know, op- opened my eyes to, to what's important uh, be, before being diagnosed. Terry, you know, was a very self-centered individual, very selfish. He would be the first to admit it. And he would say from time to time when he, when he was sharing his story that he, in a, a very unusual way, he was almost glad that he was diagnosed with, with cancer because it, it introduced something else to his life, which was, which was missing, which wasn't there. And he valued that, that, that idea of accomplishing something, of trying your very best, but not just doing it for yourself, you know, for doing it for other people. And that is an incredible feeling. And Terry experienced that. And that's what he was experiencing during the Marathon of Hope was the fact that he was doing his best, not for him, but to help other people. And I think that is, the uh, again, a, a, a strong message and a strong gift that Terry shares with all of us uh, 40 years later. It's very powerful. Now, you've used this term Terry Foxer a few times, and, and all of the people in the book obviously are Terry Foxers. What, what is a Terry Foxer to you? Yeah, well, we, 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 there's no application form yet for, for that. <laughs> um, you know, and God, a Terry Foxer is, uh, is someone who is Terry, who has Terry within him. That's how I see a, a Terry Foxer in and someone who values the, you know, some some of the things we've been talking about, about giving unconditionally, uh, helping others who who try their very best. They try their very best. We all have different standards to what that represents, but they give it their best and they want to help other people. And, um, you know, and again, uh, daily I come in contact and I communicate with Terry Foxers. And, um, and I think I'm communicating with one right now. <laughs> um, so, you know, there, it's, it's just, an, you know, it's, it's a, a wonderful experience and, and wonderful to, to have this as part of my, a big part of my life. I wanted to talk about Wayne Gretzky for a moment because I wasn't aware until I read the book that, that he came to visit Terry and your family after the marathon of hope ended, uh, which obviously was a very, it, it had a huge impression on, on Wayne Gretzky from what he writes, but that would have been obviously a, a special moment for Terry and for your family. Yeah, and, it, and it was, um, and it, um, and same, you know, it was, it was pretty inc- incredible to, to, for Wayne to, 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 you know, on a, um, on a trip to, to Vancouver to play the Canucks, uh, to, to pay a visit, to, to make that call and, and come to the house uh, at, at a time when, you know, Terry, it wasn't going well for Terry, but Terry very, very, very much appreciated the visit, and I remember it clearly. What I, what was a surprise was the fact that um, 
the, you know, Wayne shares with his story that um, he played wheelchair basketball <laughs> against uh, the national basketball team. And at this point, Terry was on that team along with, with Rick Hansen. And it was a whooping. Yeah. <laughs> the, the final score was 44 to four, which is an appropriate score if that's what the score was because Terry's favorite number was, was four. Um, but I could just, you know, we haven't spoken to Terry's competitive nature, but he was competitive and he would have enjoyed every minute of that shellacking and, and putting it to, to Wayne and, and, uh, um, uh, Kevin Lowe and, um, Lee Fogelin and, and, and others who, who were, who were, were playing. So it was a in, incredible story and surprise. And here I am ex- experiencing surprises like that, uh, 40 years later. Yeah, and I, I guess from what I gather from what Wayne wrote that uh, he didn't realize when when he saw Terry uh, launching the Marathon of Hope that that was one of the people he played against, but Terry brought it up when they met, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. what a great story. Um, I want to come back to the, the what Terry wrote uh, during the Marathon of Hope because he kept a journal uh, leading up to it and and during the Marathon of Hope and I, I know that's that's actually one of the artifacts that's been shared with Canadians as part of a wonderful museum exhibit that that went around the country uh, and uh, was at the Museum of History that's where I saw it um, can you tell me a little bit about what what comes out in what Terry wrote yeah, well, and, and that's that has been a, a highlight actually for me this year. To I've started every day from April 12th to September 1st, reading um, from from Terry's journal, reading the journal entry, and picking a, a couple sentences and, and sharing it. Um, and I don't go ahead. I wasn't moving ahead to other, as much as I was tempted to 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 read further along. I was. Um, only reading that that one entry, and um, it, you know it, it's it's pretty raw, um, you know, and and uh, but it and it and he's sharing just what he's what he's experiencing during the day, um, and it's it's been amazing for many many reasons just to see what transforms over the course of the um, of the summer, and and um, you could sense without any. He's not sharing this, but how busy he has become um, because the journal entries become shorter and shorter. And you almost sense uh, um, that he isn't feeling well also by the, the legibility of the writing as well as, as time moves towards September 1st. So that was an incredible experience for, for me to 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 go through that that process and to be able to share it and put it out there. Um, he focuses mostly on, you know, again, what he's experiencing, how many miles he's running, what the conditions were like, how difficult it was. And that is really, really hard to read. Um, again, I was even there witnessing a tape. Here, what Terry was writing in his journal about how how much pain he was going through and how difficult it was and how the wind was constantly in his face all day and how it poured rain and how there were changes un- unexpected changes to his schedule. And it was just incredible um, reading and uh, just further amplified what Terry accomplished in 1980. Again, I was there, uh, but to actually read his words added that much more to, to, to it for me. 
There's a, a, a great little anecdote that Doug Allward, who was there from the beginning, shares in, in his story about how he actually was going to do some of the running with Terry. And on the very first day, uh, there was a stiff breeze. The prevailing wind, of course, blows west to east in Canada, and, and Terry was running to the west into a headwind. Uh, and uh, and and Doug gave up and never ran with him again. Right. And that was that was it. Yeah. And, you know, when just reflecting back, I think it was for the uh, 25th anniversary in 2005, we were all in um, St. John's um, on April 12th um, for the 25th anniversary. And, and, and we're actually it was the launch of, of Doug Copeland's book, Terry, the pictorial tribute to Terry. And Doug, Doug was there with us as well. And we decided actually, Doug Allward and I on the flight to St. John's, actually it was more Doug's idea than mine, that we would we would run the first 26 miles of, of Terry's Marathon of Hope. So just like Terry, we, we got up at, uh, at 4.30 and we went uh, to, to where Terry dipped his foot in the Atlantic Ocean and we, with, with Fred helping, um, my brother Fred, uh, with a support vehicle, we ran the first 42, 26 miles. And then he, Terry got up and, and ran another 26 miles the next day. We were, I was completely gone. Nothing, nothing left at the end of that. Um, and we faced the similar conditions. We, it was hilly terrain. It was windy, super windy. It was cold. I was freezing. And yet Terry did it again and again and again. <laughs> I don't have the answer to, and I've, I've, you know, I've shared this all the, for 40 years. I don't know. I don't know physically and emotionally how he, he accomplished the, um, the marathon of hope in 1980. And, and this, this experience in 2005, just further confirmed that. Are there other surprises that uh, came out for you uh, when you gathered these letters from people or other stories that, that in particular that moved you beyond what we've already talked about? Well, I think just just overall, um, you know, there. Uh, obviously, I'm, I I I love the Daryl Sittler story and and that experience. Um, okay, I, I I'm also saying I don't have a favorite. I'm, I'm not picking a favorite letter. Um, sorry, Bobby Bobby Orr, who is my second hero. Um, so I, I value number Bobby's four. number four. Yeah, I, I value and appreciate Bobby's entry, um, but it's it, the surprises may have been from those that weren't as you know, like Bobby and Daryl had a connection with Terry, but uh, you know, Katrina Lemay Doan, I, I just admire that that perspective as a mother, what, what she's sharing, and then also her, you know, the, uh, and and um, they're all they're all incredible to see how Terry has touched and inspired them in their lives again especially those that uh, didn't have a direct connection with, with terry to, to to find out uh, how much uh, he has been an influence in their lives has been very very um emotional and and wonderful there's a great picture of bobby orr and terry fox comparing their legs because of course bobby had so many knee surgeries and uh, he rolled up his suit pant leg and and uh and showed his scars to terry and there's a great picture of the two of them together in the book um you talked about going back to 1980 every day 
tell me what you think about when you go forward into the future and, and what, uh, what your hopes and aspirations continue to be and what you think about as you project forward maybe for the next 40 years. Yeah, you know, the, the ultimate goal is to eradicate cancer. And, and you know, that's, that's what uh, I'm taking forward is what, what Terry's vision was. And we're, we're not there. We, we still have a journey ahead of us, but we certainly have come a long way in the last 40 years. I, I would like the opportunity of not having to raise another dollar. Terry asked for a dollar from every Canadian. I want to get to that point. That's what, that's what I'm driven by. I'm not satisfied because I don't think Terry would be satisfied with where we are now. Um, I think, you know, I appreciate every dollar raised, but I believe, and I believe we could always do better and more. And, um, and I want to reach out and, 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 and see Terry's story um, beyond um, our country too, because I think, you know, cancer is a, a disease that touches everyone. Um, and this story is one that can be translated and, and communicated in all languages and, 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 and people can be inspired and, 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 and give as well. So yeah, we're, it's, um, we're always looking ahead. We, again, we, we reflect on the past and we learn from the past, but we're always looking for that next opportunity. And um, certainly we, you know, the things we've done this year with the, with the two books and, the relationship with Adidas Canada and the release of, of Terry's shoe has been fun and exciting as well. And uh, we know there are more initiatives such as that uh, in, our, in our future as well. Yeah, and I think it's a reminder of just how big a challenge it is to eradicate cancer, because I think in, uh, in 1980, I think a lot of us would have hoped that by 2020, we'd be we'd have gotten further. Now, that's not to say there haven't been extraordinary advancements and, and there are many people who's, who, who are living with cancer or who have recovered and, and are fully cured and, and uh, the, the fatality rates have come down in so many different forms of cancer, but we're still not at that finish line and uh, that journey continues and it demonstrates just how monumental a challenge this was that Terry took on in 1980 because we're 40 years in, and despite everyone's best efforts, we're we're still searching for that finish line. Yeah, and you know, and that's we 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 have a, a program called the Terry's Team Program, which are cancer survivors, and they they every year receive their um, the design, the Terry Fox Run design T-shirt, but theirs it's a different color; it is red to represent who who they are as as cancer survivors, and to see that. Um, the number of uh, Terry's team member members grow every year is a sign that we are making progress. There's more and more of them, and they are again uh, that that Terry Foxer term is used for each and every every one of them because they prove that the investment in in cancer research is is, is paying off. But we're at a, a really exciting time right now in terms of precision medicine. Uh, we recently launched the Marathon of Hope Cancer Center network. I mean. What we have focused and what it was incredible Terry's about Terry's run is that he brought people together uh, for a common cause. And, 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 and a lot of the research that we've supported over the last uh, 40 years has been on teen science and bringing researchers together. The next step in that, uh, that process is, is to bring organizations and cancer hospitals and cancer uh, universities together. And that's what the Marathon of Hope Cancer Center 
network will, will do. And we've received uh, funding from the federal government um, in, in an amount of $150 million over the, the next five years, we'll, which will need to be matched by um, not only the Terry Fox Foundation, but all our, our partners across the country. And it, it is very exciting because um, it will allow us to, to focus on, as I indicated earlier, precision medicine. So we're treating, you know, the right patient with the right treatment at the right trot at the right time. Um, so rather than everyone get the same treatment, we'll be able to, you know, with, with the understanding of the the human genome, be able to to target and, and focus uh, treatment so that it will be effective. And and that's an exciting time. And it, it offers and it, it's going to break down barriers and walls. It's going to bring again organizations together to for this common cause and that is that is very exciting because again that's what terry did in 1980. the journey continues uh and uh and so many more people are joining it which is just the most powerful component of this whole story daryl it really is a terrific book i thoroughly enjoyed reading it it brought back so many memories for me and i also learned a whole bunch of new things so uh, just to see the impact that Terry had on so many different people and to see all those different perspectives was really powerful. And it is always a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. Uh, it's, the, it's the closest thing I get to talking to my greatest hero is to, to talk to his brother. And uh, I'm grateful for your time and all you and your family and the Terry Fox Foundation have done for the cause and for our country as well. Thank you so much. No, my pleasure, Mark. Any, you know, anytime. Thank you very much. That was Mark Sutcliffe in conversation with Daryl Fox. Forever Terry, A Legacy in Letters is available from our official bookseller, Perfect Books, and from independent booksellers across the country. Special thanks to the Ottawa Public Library and Library and Archives Canada for their collaboration in our virtual season and to our festival members and donors for making this possible. Our entire virtual season is available online at writersfestival.org, and all you need to do to connect with some of the world's most acclaimed authors is click play. Thank you all for listening today, and thanks again to Mark and Daryl for participating in Writers Festival Radio. Join us on Tuesday for our next episode, Confronting History, with Francesca Eguyasi in conversation with Catherine Hernandez and Shana Lambert in conversation with Peter Schneider. Peter Schneider.